It's good to see you guys. Officially welcome this morning to New Life Church. And uh, it's a joy and an honor. A little warmer this morning than uh, we've been used to. The air is on. It's just uh, taking a little longer uh, to cool it down today for some reason. But um, So we'll try not to go beyond our 2 o'clock time frame today for you. Uh, well, let me invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament. We're going to be two places today uh, from our main text, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, and then 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. We are continuing along in our series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Vision 2020, Let Hope Arise. Uh, they played the theme song this morning to open up, and we'll close out with that song as well today. But uh, really, in this, in, we're taking several weeks through the month of September to just take some time to uh, really just unpack some things that are important, uh, that we want to recognize, some things we want to honor, but also some things that we want to rejoice in looking ahead as, as we move forward together as a church. As we turn 40 years this year, 40 years old this year as a church, and uh, it's an exciting time, and uh, I want our church to carry on another 40 years and be able to pass the baton off at some point in the next, I don't know how long, how long it'll be. But uh, the Lord has a plan, and I'm excited about where we're at and where God is taking us as a church. So that's what this whole series is about. You're going to hear things uh, over the weeks in things of, of, in, in things of 20, uh, as we titled that, 20. 20. Uh, things in 20. Uh, just uh, for us, uh, my wife and I were celebrating 20 years this year. Back in May, turned 20 years old as a couple, as a spouse, as husband and wife. Uh, it'll be, uh, this is our 20th year in full-time ministry this year. This is our 10th year to pastor the church here. And, but, and as our church is turning 40, we're, we're just unpacking some things uh, to lay out, uh, really to just try to help describe and create uh, a healthy perspective about what, what lies ahead. You know, the word perspective really means to be able to look through to the end of something, to look through to the end of something. And last week, um, we, we, we talked about relationships and marriage, and we're going to pick up with that today as well. How many of you be, can be honest and say, you don't have to raise your hand, just in your heart, that it's, it's a healthy spiritual discipline to pray, God, let me see the way you see. Let me think the way you think. Let my heart beat the way yours beats. Isaiah uh, challenged us in that by saying in Isaiah, I think it was around 55, I believe, that he said, God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than ours. And so we, for us to gain his view, for us to gain his perspective, then we have to humble ourselves and ask him, God, show us your ways. Just as a song we sing this morning, show us your glory, God. Show us your glory. God wants to reveal himself to us. God wants to reveal his love to us. God wants to reveal his might to us. God wants to reveal his wisdom to us. God wants to reveal so many things of who he is to us. We just need to ask him. And we'll be amazed that if we would just ask and mean it, that God would do it. That God would show up and show himself to us in ways that we perhaps can only dream of. But he wants to be close because he's a relational God. That's who he is and he's made us that way. So relationships are, are vital. Relationships are important. And uh, I want to pick up in chapter 5 of Ephesians. And as I do, last week we, we started with 20 things that we've learned in marriage, uh, that, that uh, 
I'm sharing, shared 11 of those last week. I'll share the last nine of those today. But in that, one of the things that we learned was our love language. Uh, there are five parts of that, and there's a book about it. I didn't, re- I didn't write it, but I have read it, and it has helped us tremendously, and it's helped me a whole lot. But there's a little profile called the Five Love Language Profile that we made available last week. Many of you pictures picked one up for yourselves and your spouse. Uh, those are continuing to be available today there uh, at the Connect table as you leave today. I would encourage you to pick those up. And if you're wondering what that's all about, check out last week's message on our website, newlifechurchofjackson.org. Pick it up, part one from last week. All right, let's move along to part two this week. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 31 says... As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, let each man, excuse me, so I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's look over back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul writes, and he says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Let's pray over this word today. God, we open your word and approach it, not thinking we have it all together, but seeing, Lord, we need more of you in our life. We need more of who you are to be greater in us, and we need ourselves to be less. So we pray that today you increase, may we decrease. And Holy Spirit, bring to life the word of God, and let it hit home in our hearts, and let it be planted and take root and truly blossom and grow the way you designed it to get to do. Lord, help us to hear what you say and help me to deliver what it is you want to say today in a way that brings you honor and that helps us all to grow closer to you. We thank you now and ask this in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Every time I read that part of 1 Corinthians 13, I, it always slaps me uh, in, a, in a good godly way. Because I always see something where the Holy Spirit is like, that is what I want to work on right now in you. Um, Paul later, uh, Paul to the Romans wrote, or excuse me, to the Philippians, he wrote, you know, I haven't attained it. I haven't achieved it. I haven't been perfected. 
I still have a long ways to go. And if he could say that, an apostle who wrote quite a bit of the New Testament, then certainly us followers here today can recognize that we also have a ways to go, that we haven't achieved, we haven't arrived, we're not perfect. But at the same time, hopefully we're further along than we used to be. And we can at least start somewhere today and get further along down the road from where we are today. And so in marriage, as Paul outlined in Ephesians chapter 5, ultimately God's design of marriage is to illustrate the relationship Christ has with his church and to showcase his love and his faithfulness in that. You know, there's no perfect church and there's no perfect marriage. Really, relationships are about we reap what we sow. We get out of it what we put into it, right? Do you agree with that? That's the kingdom dynamic of sowing and reaping. So last week, I shared 11 things learned in marriage. Today, I will uh, plan to wrap up with these today. Number 12 and 13, I'm kind of coupling a couple of these things together today. 12 and 13. Marriage has taught us to keep God at the center of our life and to not turn to other things for stress relievers and life fulfillers keep God at the center of our life and not turn to other things for stress relievers and life fulfillers. Jesus teaches it this way in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look at what he says here. Jesus said, this is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Verse 31 says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Amen? Are you guys with me? Here's the thing. Keeping God at the center, not turning to other things for fulfillment. Jesus tells us, hey, worry basically divides the mind. Worry divides the mind. Might be me, I don't know. I'm on fire, watch out. Um, Jesus said, look, I've taught, I'm telling you, this is the thing he frequently taught, don't worry. Don't seek after these things. In other words, what you need to do is, above all else, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And my, God, my, my Father God will provide to you and add to your life the things that you need. In that way, in everything that we do, our ebbs and flows of life, if we're focusing on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the needs in our life and the things of our life, the ebbs and flows of our life will fall in place. They'll come together. They'll, they'll connect. Things will, will happen the way they need to happen so far as we seek the kingdom of God first and above all else. Th- other things have a way of working themselves out. You know, what is the center? Whatever is the center will determine the outcome of everything else. So what Jesus is getting at is, look, keep my kingdom, keep me in, in my rule and in in my reign and my ways center in your life. If you focus on that, then everything else will work itself out. So keep God at 
the center, not just in something you say, but in the way you aim your life, in the way you set your life in motion. Make sure that God is at the center of it. And in so doing, when things are difficult, when things are strained, when things are challenging, to not look to outside things for, to bring happiness, to bring fulfillment, to bring satisfaction. Here's the thing Haley and I have learned is this, is to turn to each other, and in turning to each other together, turn to the Lord. To not look outside the home, to not look outside in other places, to not look outside for other things to bring my own satisfaction, my own fulfillment, my own happiness, but for me to turn to her and her turn to me, and together we turn to the Lord. And as we have learned to turn to each other and together turn to the Lord, we've been amazed at how God will fulfill the longings of our heart. And here's what happens. When we turn to God together, it will build intimacy, it'll build commitment, and it will build passion. So if you like intimacy, you like commitment, and you like passion towards one another, then you're not turning to one another. We need to learn to turn to one another, and as we turn to one another, it will increase and build that intimacy. It will solidify and increase commitment, and it will continue to build a passion in our hearts towards one another as husband and wife, and it will also do the very same thing in our relationship with God. We should not let the fire go out at home. We should not let the fire go out in our hearts with one another. Amen? Is it okay if I take my jacket off because I am burning up up here? And that might be the issue with my mic. My jacket's rubbing that thing. I don't know. Nope, not that. <laughs> if I catch on fire, somebody grab a fire extinguisher, please. We have a lot of them around. All right, moving on. Number 14. Number 14. Def- we've learned to define healthy boundaries with outside family members and others. Here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 9. He said, let no one split apart what God... Should I just switch mics? Because this will be irritating to you guys and not be able to pay attention. If it doesn't work, I'll try another way. Thank you, sir. Jesus said... Jesus said, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The thing is, marriage is a covenant and it should be protected. And it should not be influenced by the personal preferences of other people. Amen? That we must be selective in what we are sharing with others and be sensitive to who we ask help and advice from something she and I have learned over the last 20 years is to protect the covenant that God has established within us. And that we, we can't be, we don't want to be found guilty of oversharing yet underachieving. Amen? Because you can, we can find ways and avenues to express our, our uh, issues of, of not being happy, not being content, things not going the way we hoped to, they would go with different people different family members, different friends, et cetera, co-workers, what have you. And the thing is, 
as maybe as good as the intention might be with outsiders, we have to be selective in who we share things with. We have to be selective in how much information we give to other people about our spouse. That we should not be found guilty of running our spouse down to someone else and then trying to pray to God for them to lift them up. Because God's like, well, you tore them down, you build them up. Right? That we should not be found guilty with oversharing and yet ourselves underachieving. So we have to learn how to build and define healthy boundaries with those around us and understand the interactions that need to be there. 15 and 16. Talking about 20 things learned in marriage. 15 and 16, this. Is don't live with unrealistic expectations of each other and forgive and forget often. Don't live with unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of each other and forgive and forget often. Here's what Jesus taught in the way he wrote it down on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, Jesus said it, not me. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Here's the deal. Our spouse is not the completion of ourself. Only God can do that. If you and I are looking to our spouse to complete us, to fulfill us, to do all those things, here's the deal. We're going to live with unrealistic expectations towards one another. What we can't do, we can't expect more from our spouse than our spouse is able to provide us because our spouse is not Jesus. Our spouse is not God. Do they add things that are good to the marriage? Absolutely, we do that. But we can't live with the unrealistic expectation that you got to meet all these needs. you got to provide all my needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Now, last time I read, it was God who did that, not my spouse. So if you're married and you're getting married or you want to get married or whatever you are, wherever we are, we can't have the expectation that my spouse completes everything about me. One half plus one half in God's kingdom doesn't equal whole. One whole plus one whole in Christ equals a whole. That's the way God looks at marriage. So what, what we can do is this. What we can do is learn to ask God to define our expectations, and here's what will happen. He'll help you and I. He'll help us fix our attention on the way we think, on the way we speak, on the way we react, on the way we respond, and on the way we view our spouse. So when we ask God, open my eyes, define my expectations, define expectations here in our home, in our marriage, the way things need to be that will honor you and will bring some good things in our home, what he begins to do is work on your own heart, and he begins to open your eyes and allow you to see the error of your ways. The error of where you fall short. The, and, I, and I know we don't like that, but that's, that's the, if we want to gain heaven, we have to decrease ourselves. If we want God to increase in us, we have to decrease in ourselves. And that's what happens when we ask God to define our expectations. He actually helps us, and He get, gives us the right type of perspective and view. And for whatever we need, whatever we do, we must not live holding grudges and, con and keeping a list of all the wrongs that our spouse 
has ever done to us. All right. Now, I know I'm talking kind of in general terms, so I know there's other things that go on in life and in marriage, and you're like, you don't know what I live in. Okay, I get that. But in general terms, we cannot live with grudges. We cannot live with unforgiveness in our heart and constantly having a list of all the things that our spouse has ever done wrong. Because Jesus doesn't do that with us. And how many times do we wrong him? How many times do we fall short of his expectations for our life? Every day, right? Every day. Can you say every day? Every day. Just flow with me, guys. Number 17 and 18. The grass is not necessarily greener elsewhere, and whatever you do, don't abandon church. Talking about lessons learned in marriage. The grass is not necessarily greener anywhere else. Don't abandon church no matter what. Here's the thing. If we'll take the time to water our own parcel of land that God gave us, perhaps we'll start to see the greener pastures that we desire. But the problem in America's society and the Western society and philosophy is we don't want to wait around on the good crop to come about. We want it yesterday. We don't want to put in the hard work. We don't want to put in the plowing. We don't want to put in the sowing. We don't want to put in the cultivation. And here's the thing. We won't get anything good out of a marriage if we don't put anything good into it. Amen? If we're not satisfied with the outcomes of our marriage, here's what we can do. We can inspect it, and we can tend it. We inspect what we expect, and we can learn to till and tend our garden. We can de-weed it. We can water it. We can cultivate it. We can feed it. We can do all of those things, and here's some examples of that. How can we tend to our marriage? Number one is we can soak it in prayer. Before you make any life-altering big changes in your marriage, pray about it first. Soak it in prayer. If you have not soaked your your marriage in prayer, if we haven't soaked it in prayer, then we should not do anything else. Soak it in prayer. Here's another way we can tend to our marriage. Seek to be the better spouse first. Seek to be the better spouse first. How do we do that? Well, for starters, we can read, we can listen, and we can watch or maybe attend things that deal specifically with marriage and relationships. We need to be able to look at other people and things like this book, The Five Love Languages, and there's a million more other ones that are good and solid that we can avail ourselves to, that we can read, we can listen, we can watch, and we can put ourselves in a humble position to try to become a better spouse, even if the other spouse isn't even trying. Here's, a, here's another way we can tend to our marriage. Saturate it in the presence of God. Saturate it in the presence of God, which is where not abandoning church, no matter what comes into play. It amazes me, over 20 years in ministry full-time, the different conversations I've had with individuals and spouses, marriages, married couples, that things aren't going well, things haven't gone well, but they don't come to church. 
They don't put themselves in a position to be saturated in the presence of God and the word of God and the fellowship of the saints week in and week out. Oftentimes, what happens is problems arise, and so they begin to separate themselves from the fold. And friends, that is a dangerous place to live because that is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. For, and uh, Peter's words to us in 1 Peter 5 is, hey, listen, pay attention, be diligent, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The lions don't come in and jump on a whole fold or a whole flock. They wait for the one or two to get isolated and to get separated from the rest of the crew, and then they pounce on them. They are watching for the weak ones. They are watching for the ones who are unsure about do they really, really need to be involved here. And then as soon as there's a change and a shift and a movement, there's that one or those two that get cut off and they kind of pulled away, and that is where the lion strikes. And that's often, unfortunate, what happens in a lot of lives, in a lot of marriages. Things are topsy-turvy. Things are not that great. Things are not real solid. Things are not real healthy. And over time, you start to see drift, 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 drift. And so the time when you, to, to, to press into the church is always, but especially when things aren't going that well, is that you must saturate your marriage in the presence of God. And here's what can happen when we do that. We allow the Holy Spirit to minister to our hearts. We allow the Word of God to penetrate our hearts. And we also learn to become accountable with our ways around other believers. We all need accountability. And we can learn to circle ourselves with a few other godly couples that we can walk through life with. That, when, that when, when things aren't good or when you're unsure about some steps you need to take, you've got some other sure-footed, godly ca- uh, couples around you that you can talk to, that you can go to, that they can pray with you about whatever's going on. Church was never meant for any person to do this by themselves. I thank God that I don't, I don't do this on my own. We don't, haven't done this on our own. We've availed ourselves to other couples to not only be friends to us, but to also be people who help hold us accountable that aren't afraid to say, hey, you know, that, that conversation y'all had that we heard, it, was, it wasn't that great. Are y'all okay? And then I'll be, have to, like, call them later and be like, you know, I apologize to Haley because what I said and the way I said it wasn't that cool. And certainly doing it in front of you was not that great. And thankfully they didn't, like, say, well, we're done here. We're never coming back to your church. They're like, that's awesome. I, thank God everything's good, you know. But we have to learn that. We can't be afraid of that. God, how else are we going to get stronger if we don't have stronger ones walking with us? Amen? All right. Let's see. Number 19. Talking about things learned in marriage. Number 19. I'm only going to 20, just to remind you. Number 19. Don't overextend commitments outside of the home. Don't overextend your commitments outside of the home. In other words, don't busy yourself with so many things that the only time you see each other is when you're tired and worn out. If you do that week in, week out, week in, week out, pretty soon there's going to be drift at home. There's going to be separation at home. There's going to be isolation at home. In other words, wherever you are, don't, don't decide, hey, 
you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to law school, and I'm gonna, we're going to have a baby this year, and oh, we're going to renovate the home, and, and our current kids are all going to be doing 12 different extracurricular activities, and so you're going to be doing here, I'm going to be going there, I'm going to be busy with this, uh, plus we're going to serve 12 times a month at church, and, uh, and then and do all these things, and meanwhile we wonder, why don't we ever talk? Why are we always exhausted? Why do we never have opportunity to build intimacy and strengthen our commitment and, and all of those things? It's because we're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy. I know I'm not talking to anybody here. I'm practicing for somebody else. So, but we are. We are. We, this, this generation, this time frame of society is we are way too busy. And we overextend our commitments, and we don't prioritize our commitments. It seems like we have just forgotten how to prioritize what's most important. And that happens in our life. That happens in marriages. That happens in homes. And here's the thing. We've got to guard the covenant. Because if the covenant's not happy, the rest of the family can't be happy. If that covenant's not healthy, the rest of the covenant, the rest of the family cannot be healthy. Everyone, someone will suffer somewhere. So we've got to pay attention to our commitments. We've got to pay attention to what we do outside of home with our time. Everyone, we have the same 24 hours as anybody else does. It's just help us, God, to use it in the way and steward it in the way that is best for our life and our family. Amen? Last, certainly not least, number 20. Is this is find a system that you both agree on to budget and steward your finances and always be a tithing family. Always be a tithing family, but find a system that you can both agree on that will help you budget and steward your finances well. Here's what Jesus taught on Matthew 6. He said, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Verse 24. So no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. A friend of mine said this. He said, you can't give God partial trust and expect total transformation of the heart. thought that was solid. Props to my friend, Jamie Goldenberg. You can't give God partial trust and expect total transformation of the heart. Because here's the thing. If we want a healthy and a whole marriage, then we have to learn to trust God. And a test of the heart is money because money really isn't a paper or coin or gold issue. Money is a heart issue. Money is a heart issue issue. If Here's the thing. If we can together trust God as husband and wife, we can trust God with finances and learn to steward it well, then it, it, we have a better chance of our overall life being healthier and being balanced according to God's plan, according to God's kingdom. Here's the thing. God rewards wise stewardship. Always has, always will. God honors wise stewardship. He spoke about it in Matthew 25. Look at this, just one f- verse of, the, of a story. Matthew 25. He said, The master was full of praise when he looked at his servants, and he said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have 
been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Three things out of the way God rewards wise stewardship. Affirmation. Good job. You did well. In other words, what God is saying when we, have, we practice wise and healthy stewardship, He says, good job. I'm affirming your life. I just wanted to see that you could pass the test and do right with what I have given you. That's what happens. Part of what happens when we give back to the Lord and we give our tithe to the Lord is He wants to test our heart and see, do we really trust Him? Another part of that is promotion. Not only is affirmation a part of it, God affirms it, but God then also brings along promotion. He says, you've been faithful with a few. I will now entrust you with more. I will give you more. I will entrust you with greater responsibility. I will entrust you with a greater responsibility because you have been faithful with a few. So there's affirmation, but there's also promotion. Then there's also this, celebration. God celebrating with his people. Hey, you've been you passed the test. I can trust you to do right with what I give you. And now because you have been faithful in that, I can give you more. And because I can give you more, here's the thing. Come on, step into my joy. Step into my happiness. But God also delights in our own joy. God wants us to be joyful and joy-filled. Here's the thing. If we never learn how to balance our finances, we'll never learn how to balance our life. If we never learn how to steward our money, we really won't be able to steward our time or our energy or our talents that God has blessed us with because it's all about the entire package. But money, finances, is a heart issue. One of the top things that disagreements that go on in homes is always about money it's always about what'd you do with it how'd you spend it you spent that on that you spent how much (gasps) right and there's these different things these different understanding misunderstandings these different disagreements that go on in 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 life and for Haley and I unfortunately it took us a long time to get to a healthy stewardship understanding I wish we had it from year one and from day one, but it didn't happen that way. It took many years for us to come to the understanding that, of how we both agree on it and what is best practice for both of us. But here's the thing. Through all of it, we always tithed. We always gave. We always wanted to say, we trust you, God. And because you, we kept saying, God, we look to you and we trust you and we're going to be obedient to your word to tithe and to give, it continuously opened the door for God to step in and to help course correct our life. But the moment you stop, the day you stop, it closes the door to God being involved. We must always keep the door open for God to be involved because that where our treasure is, he says, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it's always a question of the heart. We put our treasure where our heart is. Hershey, if you and the team can come on back up as we wrap up. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been tithing since I got my first job at 16. Started out as a bagger in a grocery store. Worked up to become head cashier. 
while I was going to college, uh, did a, uh, I was an after-school director for our Christian school back in Memphis for a couple of years. But one of the things that was always taught to me was, hey, tithe, give God at minimum at least the 10%. But learn to become generous. For a selfish person, that was hard for me to learn to become generous. And i got to be honest with you, every now and again, that old selfish nature of mine likes to stick its head up. But my wife has helped me to see that for generous, God's always faithful to replenish. See, she grew up with a sister. I grew up solo at home. So all my toys were my toys. My basketball was my basketball. My bike was my bike, right? She had to share, learn to share and do all the other sisterly things you're supposed to do. And so raising three girls right now, as you can imagine, 12, 6, and 4, y'all just pray for me. Because I look around the room and you, some of you guys, you guys are really successful and fruitful in how you raise your kids. And I want to be able to do that myself. I want to be able to sit where you're at and be like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You know, grandfather here standing alongside of his daughter, raising the third generation in their home. You know, three kids in their home now. I mean, what a testimony that you pointed your children in that direction. Amen? But I can't begin to tell you how many times God has been faithful. There was a time, uh, I like to keep track of things, and there was a time we only had 12 cents in our checking account. I only knew we had 12 cents because I checked my checking account every day that week. 12 cents. But by the, whatever time frame that was, there was a knock on our door that someone brought a $500 check and said, you need to buy your family some groceries this week, right? And we're like, yeah, we sure do. And diapers and this and that and this and that. And they're like, well, here, take this and use it for however you need for your home. We tithed that week, and we still only had 12 cents. We prayed. I bit my fingernails. I was worried. I can't lie to you until I wasn't worried. But I can't tell you how many times, man, I worry. God's like, I got this. Let me just show you. And he always comes through. Can't begin to tell you. I mean, so many stories after stories. The way God does math will blow our minds. Because his math and the way he does it is so much different than the way we do it. That he always, he's good at taking a little and multiplying it and turn it into a lot. It's amazing the way God can do that, but it must just first be offered to Him. And that's a testimony of God's faithfulness in our own marriage, in our own life. Now, we're nowhere near where we want to be. There's things that we have debts on and stuff like that that we're trying to get paid off and do the right things with because of decisions we made years ago. But here's the thing, no matter what, always be a tithing family because it always keeps the door open for God to be involved. And always find, find something that you both can agree on, a system that you both can agree on. 
that'll help you steward your money well, your finances well. Here's the thing. If you need help in that area, if you'll just ask, we can help point you to some people who are good at this, who are solid, who are miles down the road, who can take some time and meet with you. Not me. It's not my wife. We're not looking at your checkbook. But we can help point you to someone that we know is trustworthy and is, who's confidential that you can meet with and talk to. And they can help give you some guiding points. And they can help point you in the direction that you need to go to get on target. But you just need to ask. You just need to ask. So those are just some of the things that Haley and I have learned. Narrowed them down to 20. Just some things that she and I have learned over 20 years. Hopefully that's been helpful to you. And... Um, there's a, there's a special couple in our church that we learned last week has been married 57 years. 57 years. And so I've asked them if they would take a moment to pray over us. And here in just a moment, we're going to pray. But before we pray, I'd just like our team to lead us through this our, our anthem, our, this theme song, this anthem song for this whole series, Let Hope Arise. Because here's the thing, wherever you are in your life, in your marriage, in your family dynamics right now, you need hope. You need hope. Because some days can get dark, some days can get lonely, some days can get discouraging, and some days can get disappointing. But if you don't have hope, you're going to stay stuck there. And I want to encourage you today as I wrap up that let the hope of God arise in your heart. Let the hope of the Holy Spirit arise in your heart. That things don't have to stay the way they are. They can get better. They can get stronger. They can get glorious if we will just let the hope of God arise in our hearts. So stand with me to your feet as we go through this anthem. Sing it with your heart. Sing it with your mouth. Sing it with your life. Wherever you are, put your hope in God because God never disappoints.